At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong, right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Yes, it is cold, but God is good, right? And I am glad to be here with you in the house of the Lord. Before we jump into the message, I just want us to take a moment and just talk through what is happening in the Middle East. You know, there are things that happen every day, every week that we could talk about from this stage that we could pray about. And, uh, and this is a time we feel that it's necessary just to pray and take a moment for us to understand that you know, in this world, there are many evils, there are many wicked acts, there are many dark things, and, and it can help, uh, it makes us feel helpless at times. But in these moments, it's more of a reason for us to be a church that prays, a church that is intentionally praying for the world. As many of you know, uh, just a day ago, the Hamas terrorist group attacked Israel, uh, mainly in the Gaza Strip. And I was reading uh, recently that over 300 or 3,000 missiles have been launched and maybe as many as already 500 casualties to the Israelites. And, and so that is something where uh, when we think of even this or Russia invading Ukraine, um, we as a church family, we just want to help. We want to we want to do something. We want to step up, and, and we'll know in the next week or two how we will respond in these moments. But right now, we need to go to the one who can help the greatest, and, and that is our Father. So I want us to take a moment as a church and pray over the conflict that is happening in the Middle East. So let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we know that. Sundays are a time where we can just be joyful for what you've accomplished on the cross and celebrate that truth. And even through the song we just sang about the goodness of you. But in this world, there are things that are not good. And, and we know with this Hamas group and what they've started, that this will probably be a long and bloody conflict and there'll be many lost. And the ones who are, will suffer greatest will probably be civilians. And so we pray right now for protection. We pray uh, for these people who are in the conflict. Just shower them with love, affection uh, from the world. Uh, if there's anything we can do to help as a church family, I pray that we are led to know what to do and how to respond. And even though so many weeks we come in just excited, joyful, uh, today we come in with a heavy heart knowing that there are people that are hurting, that are dying, that are suffering uh, for no reason, for ideologies and, and, and land and greed and hate. And so, Father, let us be a church that isn't just so focused internally or even just about our community. Let's, let's pray for the world. 
because we know that what is impossible with us is not impossible with you. We love you, Father. Be with the people that are suffering through this conflict, through this war today. We pray this all in your name. Amen. I just want to jump into scripture this morning. We've been in Mark chapter 4 for the last couple weeks. And so we're going to be starting off in verse 35. We're going to put it up on the projector for you to read. But also we encourage you to open up your Bibles, your Bible apps to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. So, So this is what it says. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, Be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? A lot of us have heard this story, and maybe some of us, this is new to us. But it's a story of Jesus in the storm, experiencing this, this massive storm quickly on the sea. And a lot of us, we use the, the phrase, hey, we're going through a storm, we're battling through the storm of life. Whether uh, we went through a physical storm or a spiritual storm, that's an illustration, that's a phrase we use often. Even myself, I think about one of the biggest storms I have lived through that my wife and I and a couple of our kids faced, and that was in 2016, when an E3 tornado ripped through the town that we were living in of Kokomo, Indiana. And it turned out that over 80 homes were destroyed, over 1,000 homes were damaged, Even stores, there was a Rite Aid, a Starbucks, completely leveled. And I remember when the storm was starting to happen. We were living in this 1,200 square foot home on a slab, no basement. And and we we heard the noises. We, We felt the tremors in our home. We saw the sky go gray. And we took our kids, Hannah and Milo at the time, and we went into the innermost part of our home, which was a closet in our bedroom. And as the house was shaking and we heard the storm and things cracking against our house and we were FaceTiming uh, one of my sisters and, and one of our other phones, we were looking to see the trajectory of the storm and I remember hearing that the storm, the main heart of the tornado was just a quarter mile away. And I was afraid. I was scared. As anyone would be, I was Worried about the safety of my kids. It's like my job is to protect, to shelter them, to help them. And now, are we going to die? Is this the end of us? And so whether you are in a storm physically, or you're in a spiritual storm, an emotional storm, a mental storm, that's a phrase 
that we can connect with because we all have been in storms. And so in this story, and even my story, it connects because we can relate as being people that can be anxious, afraid, scared, whatever word you want to apply to it, in moments in our life. But our hope is to remember when you're in it, whatever it is, that Jesus is in it too. It's important for us to remember, not only is Jesus standing in the storm with us, but he stands over the storm. He is the creator. He doesn't bow to the chaos of of our lives and around us. The creation bows to him. Even one day, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that he is Lord. Listen to Colossians 1.16. Everything, absolutely everything, above, below, visible, invisible, everything got started in him and finds purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And so this story gives us an unflinching truth that Jesus reigns over creation. Our big idea is to remember that that he's not just in it, he is over it. He reigns over all creation. But the reality is just because we preach it, it doesn't mean we practice it. I pray it does, I, I wish it did. But we all know there are times when when that truth just tends to fall away from our lives and we forget in our storm, he's not just in it, he is over it. And it takes us some times and some remembrance to come to that truth. We'll think back to March of 2020 when, when things started to change in our world. Since that, society's level of concern ha- has only multiplied. Whether hope and anxiety can be described in, in, in today's age, anxiety, we talked about a couple weeks back, it is worrying about the what ifs, what's going to happen, could this happen in the future? So if we were struggling, during the time of COVID, and we were before COVID, maybe a 3 out of 10 with anxiety easily could become a 6 out of 10. And if we're a 6 going into March 2020, maybe we're at a 9. And maybe if we're already at a 9, maybe we're at a place where we have to start having therapy or counseling, or we start searching, searching the world for answers, searching churches, trying to find a place to get connected, maybe medication. And we see this all over because the maybes and the what ifs. And in the maybes and the what ifs, it's easy to get anxious. As the disciples were in the storm, it is easy to say, what if our boat sinks? What if we go into the water? What if we have to swim to shore? Well, you think about the story of Dorothy and the scarecrow and marching down that yellow brick road. <laughs> right? Everything was good. They were on this path to safety. They're on this path to answers. They weren't too worried, right? Until they thought of the wicked witch maybe appearing on that road. Or lions and tigers and bears. 
Oh, my. I've trained you well. (laughs) But you think about this, and time and time again, Jesus showed us how to respond to our anxiety-ridden circumstances. Even people that were with him, that lived with him for three years, still had anxiety-ridden hearts. And so if they had anxiety, if they had these worries, if they were struggling to remember that Jesus reigns over all creation, how much more will we? And so I want to spend some time today seeing how Jesus responds when the wind and the waves pick up. How did Jesus respond when it went into another gear? When we thought, hey, when is this going to give? And then it went to a place it had never been that you didn't think it could go to. How did Jesus respond to the questions and concerns and anxieties of our life? And the first thing we see in this story is that he remained calm and at peace. Let's put that scripture up again for us to see. Because in this story, we need to remember in the storm, he remained calm and at peace. Remember that. And let's look at the text. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. So this is important because on that day, it was a nice day. They didn't see any storms a-brewing. I mean, there had been a lot that was happening at this time, and eventually it led him to just go. He took him with them on the boat, but they took him where he was. He didn't run back, hey, let me get my toiletries. You know, I need my camel shampoo. You know, whatever. He just went. And I think about myself or us maybe being spent. He was up to this point being told that he was the ruler of the demons, the religious leaders. Hey, you cast out demons because you are the ruler of demons. You're the Beelzebul of them. You are the one who has the power because you've been given that power from Satan himself. What about his family? His family, they were witnessing him get more famous and more bold, and they almost wanted to save him from himself. They were trying to get him, trying to push through the crowd to take him and bring him back to their home. And they thought they were protecting him. Like, oh, you're making a fool of yourself or you're going to cause issues. We're talking about these religious leaders. You do not want to mess with them. And so when we had that happen, then we have the illustrations of the seed and the sower. All this is happening before this point. He's just like, let's just get on the boat. Let's go. And so they jump on this boat, they go, you can imagine that he was exhausted, and and as he was in the boat, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, that the boat was filled, and guess what? He was passed out. So I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Sea of Galilee. Has anyone ever here been to the Sea of Galilee? Okay, we got some people who've been to the Sea of Galilee. I just want to throw up a picture up here for you guys to see. So this is the Sea of, the Ga- sea of Galilee. And, and when we think of a sea, we think of almost like an ocean, a large body of water. But this is really, to us Michiganders, just pretty much like a big lake, okay? 
And, and so with this, there was this, um, this almost like mountain rift that would create almost a funnel, and the wind would come in, and it could create storms rather quickly. And, and so when the cooler air from the hills rushed down the slopes to meet the warm air, it, it could create sudden windstorms, which led to waves. And, and also you need to realize about Jewish families, even though these were fishermen, didn't mean they could swim. I mean, they didn't have like goldfish training academy for swimmers at this time, right? Like they were afraid because a lot of them, even though they were fishermen, couldn't swim. And, and so we think about that to us. It's like, wait, you'd be a fisherman without being able to swim. But, but that was the nature of tradition and the place and the access that people had to certain trainings. But think about this. This was the Sea of Galilee. It was beautiful. And so when he's going over, he passes out, and in this picture you see that, okay, not the biggest lake in the world, but what's interesting is they actually found a boat in the 1980s, 1986, two fishermen, when there was a great drought, that was a boat that was dated back to the exact time around Jesus' life. So they, they saw with this great drought, they actually saw nails in the ground, and so in order to protect it, they got archaeologists, they surrounded it, and they worked around the clock for 12 days to preserve this boat. Then, as they took the boat, they soaked it for seven years, seven years in a chemical bath to preserve it so they could show it. They could actually show it in museums. And this boat was about 27 feet long, about seven and a half feet, feet wide, about four and a half feet deep. And we actually have a picture. I want to show you a picture of that boat that they found. Um, this one right here. So yeah, this is, this is the boat, the type of boat that potentially Jesus was on when he was sharing the story. And, and the first picture we showed, let's go back to that. That would have been that boat actually fully functioning. And so you think about it, if there's a storm and waves and water and Jesus is in the stern of the boat, he's probably getting soaked. <laughs> there's probably inches of water in there. And yet the scripture shows us he is completely clunked out. And so I am wondering, man, why is Jesus so tired? <laughs> why is he so sleepy? What's the point of this? I think there's two reasons. One, physically, he's exhausted. Jesus was also flesh. He was also a man. Even though he's fully God, he was also fully man. And so in this moment, his, his flesh is weak. He was tired. He was exhausted. So maybe he was just so tuckered out <laughs> that he just had to go to sleep and rest. He had nothing left. But also... The one that I think is very interesting, which I think it's probably a little both, is the spiritual reason. Spiritually, if you're in a deep sleep when you're surrounded by danger, that means you're not concerned about the danger because you know who is the one protecting you. We got anyone in here who has sleeping issues? <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Okay, for the younger ones... Put down your phones at night. 
For the older ones, put down your phones at night. (laughs) So here's the thing. You guys ever have a moment when you were just anxious the night before a major event happened? Yeah? Like you couldn't sleep, right? I knew most of you, you couldn't sleep because you were so anxious about being at church today, right? So excited. So maybe it's a a big uh, promotion that you could get. Maybe you have a meeting with one of your bosses. Maybe you have to present something. Maybe it's something going on with your kids. Maybe it's something going on with your family. And you, you get nervous. You get worried. You don't sleep well. Well, in order to have deep sleep, it's usually when things are going good. When you're in a safe place, when you're on vacation, when some worries have fallen away. Or maybe because you understand and you trust in the greater security in your life. Your trust is so fixed that you find rest when you're conscious or when you're unconscious. You know, I think Jesus was so confident in the Lord that what's a storm to him? You think he's worried about some rain and some waves? He understood that God reigns over creation. He wasn't worried for one moment. Even look at Proverbs 3, 21 through 24. And and just understanding the trust in God. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul, adornment for your necks. Then you'll walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Why? Because of understanding who's in the boat with you. Jesus was laser-focused on biblical wisdom and truth and discretion with his mind, body, soul. And he did not worry one bit about the storm because he was demonstrating that his anxiety doesn't come from the weather. Actually, the only time that we witnessed Jesus in in what we would call moments of anxiety was when there was tension with the relationship with the Father. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. The tension of him and the Father. Will this cup, can this cup pass away from me? Or him on the cross. In the moment where he's, he's feeling that, that, that statement, that experience of, God, why have you forsaken me? It's usually attached when he felt like there was tension with him and the Father. Which we know is not the case. Because they are one. But in his flesh, and in our flesh, it doesn't take much for us to get anxious. In his case, he was as cool as a cucumber. As cool as the other side of a pillow. And in this moment, the disciples were terrified. They're scared for their lives. You know, in our culture... We glorify independence, right? Like, I made this uh, from nothing. I had this job, and I went here, and I worked there, and, and, and I ended up getting to this place. We glorify that we don't need people, that we don't need help, that we don't need that person, which, first of all, is not true because we need a lot of people 
We need a lot of people that we rely on medically and work-wise and you name it. But ultimately, there's this glorification of I can do it on my own. I got this. When really, when we think about dependence, only God sees the other side of the corner. When we think about dependence, only God has already secured the end of the story. And so I think the enemy works with the lies of trying to be independent. I got this. C.S. Lewis, he wrote the famous book, brilliant book, I think, on a temptation called the Screwtape Letters. And in the Screwtape Letters, it's from the perspective of a demon. And a demon attacking a Christian. And so the senior demon named Screwtape trains his nephew, a younger demon named Wormwood, on how to secure condemnation on a young man. This is how he said that we can secure, or how he could secure uh, condemnation. He said, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy, the enemy being God. He, God, wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Is your mind overwhelmed with the what-ifs and the maybes? Because the enemy wants to keep us thinking about what could happen. Well, what if? What if this falls apart? What if this happens in my life? Everything will go wrong. He wants to barricade us between us and our Heavenly Father. And we just need to understand and remember and constantly be permeated and engulfed by the Word of God because that anxiety, the what-ifs, and what could be, it could be ever-consuming. We need to remember the words of Isaiah 41.10. When the Father says to his people, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, help you, uphold you with my righteous hand. The Son says to his own in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you even to the ends of the age. Paul tells those who have faith in Christ in Romans 8.11, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Same chapter, Romans 8.6, Set your mind, if you set your mind on the flesh, it is death, but set your mind on the spirit, which is life and peace. I mean, we might be all worked up inside about something, a situation, a circumstance, a what if, but I promise you, Jesus is not anxious about your situation. He is not anxious about your situation. Because he understands what he can offer us, what he has given us, peace, calm, a hand, voice, uh, his presence. He says, trust me. Follow me. So we have to remember, how does Jesus respond to our anxiety-ridden circumstances? He responds with calm, and he responds with peace. He is not anxious about what we're going through. Because he knows the way out. 
But also we see in this story that Jesus, it's not that he's just calm and peaceful. He actually, in this moment, speaks with authority, with great authority against nature itself. Let's look at the text and, and where he speaks against nature and the authority that he has over it. They woke him. The disciples woke up Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Let's, let's leave that up there. So now we see in this moment the disciples are afraid for their life. They're frantic like a lot of us would be in that moment. And uh, they wake Jesus up with a sarcastic rhetorical question, pretty much crying out for help and saying, do you even care for me? Do you even have concern for me? Teacher, rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die? We talk about our lives again in the image of a storm. And so with them, they're crying out to Jesus these questions that actually, when you read into the text and you read into the Greek, their tone is accusatory. They're not like, oh, uh, Jesus, uh, can we bother you for a moment? <laughs> no, they're accusatory towards Jesus. Sounds similar to the story of Mary and Martha. Remember Martha? Jesus, do you care that she's not helping? A sense of accusatory, almost like a rebuking. You've healed the sick. You've cast out demons. Are you really just going to let us die? And so I think about us. Maybe our response isn't that much different. God, are you asleep? God, do you even care? Do you really even care about me? Do you hear me? Are you even consciously aware of what I'm going through? The pain I have. You've helped others. Why have you not helped me? And in these moments, we might think we're calling out to God, but we're making our God, capital G, God, into a lowercase g, and then we're making our storms, lowercase s, into a capital S. And we're thinking our storms are greater than our God. And we might not ever admit that cognitively. But in our storms, in these moments, our faith is exposed. And no matter how theologically robust we are, our faith reveals a practical emptiness. This is the disciple's story. Not too different from us, right? These disciples... In this moment, crying out. But how does Jesus respond? In this moment, I wonder how I would respond. If I could walk on water, I'd be like, peace, I'm out. Like, just go. Jesus didn't respond by saying, I'm starting over. You guys, you're too catty, you're too drama. You're too faithless. I am done with you. In this moment, Jesus is more gracious than we could ever imagine. 
So if he's gracious with them, we need to remember that Jesus is more gracious to us than we could ever imagine. I know we're hard on ourselves. Some of us, we're really hard on ourselves. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but Jesus is more gracious with you than you can ever imagine. Does that mean he just allows them to continue to be faithless and not have this belief and, 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 and speak accusatory with him? No, that's not what we're saying. But in this moment, he chose to respond with grace. Does he say, okay, I'm going to let you go ahead and drown then? <laughs> no. He wakes up. He wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the storm. Peace. Be still. He had that power. Imagine if we had that power. Thunderstorm comes through, we wake, let me sleep, you know? It'd be pretty cool. In this moment, he told the storm and the wind to be quiet and to be still, and immediately the skies obey his voice. I found a text in the Old Testament that's eerily similar to the story that we have heard today from, from Mark chapter 4. This is in Psalm 107, verse 23 through 30. It's so similar, thousand years earlier, almost like it's talking exactly about this. It says this, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business in the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. I lost my spot. <laughs> For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to the desired haven. Sounds similar, right? Remember, God is not just in the storm. He is over all creation. Jesus speaks peace and the great windstorm in verse 37 is transformed to a great calm. And in th verse 39, all power belongs to him. We see him reveal that he has all this authority. And, and we don't want to miss that we are created too. If he reigns over creation, we need to remember that we are the created if he has authority over all nature and all created things, that means he has authority over our lives. And he is worthy of us submitting to his authority. And we might even be thinking, okay, I love that he is over creation and he is over the storms, but why even allow the storm in the first place? Think with me. Would the disciples have understood his identity and authority without it? 
Would they have realized their desperate need of him without seeing what he did while they were sinking? Sometimes we need to walk through that, have some water in the boat, have some some dark clouds in the sky and some strong winds to understand Jesus is in the boat. And in the midst of this, he shows his ultimate authority, yet the world rejects it. So many reject it. And even when he was baptized, God said, and some heard and some were not willing to hear or not allowed to hear, this is my son, listen to him. Listen. It's my son whom I love. So let me be clear. If you are not bowing to the authority of Christ, then you're bowing to the empty ideologies of the world. And when we bow to the empty ideologies of the world, it leads to death. It's the great lie of the secular day in our life that these things can lead to joy. And I always ask the question, if we've done it, if we've tried it, trying to find joy in the secular, in the world, how's it going for you? How's that working out? Is there joy? Is there happiness? Or is it pebbles and scraps and dirt and twigs compared to what Christ has given us? God has authority And he showed that through Christ as he he went through the storm and he quieted. Be still, be silent. And the disciples, I won't lie, when they saw this, when they witnessed this, they were wigged out. Remember, they were accusatory. He's asleep with rain and water and the boat filling up. But after that, we see how Jesus responds to our anxiety-ridden circumstances. He also challenged them to live fearless faith. And he challenges us as well to live with a fearless faith. Remember, perfect love casts out all fear. In that security of what he had in the boat, he wasn't worried for one moment. And he got up and after he quieted the storm, let's see what is said. Let's go to Mark chapter 4, verse 40. And this is what it says. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Okay, let's, let's throw out everything I said so far. <laughs> everything, for a second, 30 seconds. If you're in a boat, <laughs> let's say you're on Lake St. Clair, the most beautiful lake on this, this planet, okay? And a storm starts coming and the water starts filling up. Are you going to be afraid? No. <laughs> okay, it's reasonable to say, okay, I'm a little afraid, right? So their, their accusatory statement actually is fairly logical in some regard, right? Boat uh, in water, water filling up in boat, boat sink, can't swim, die. Just like that. <laughs> so you think about his response, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, what intrigues me is the response. 
they were filled with great fear. Right? Like, if he said, like, why are you afraid? Why are you worried? Wouldn't your response be like, they were awed. They were confused. They were happy because they were safe. Think about the emotions that would come after that. I don't think fear would be one of them. I'm I'm thinking maybe I'm, I'm off my rocker, which tends to be the case sometimes. But they were afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Remember I said they were wigged out? In that moment, they said, He even has power over nature. He calmed a storm. And what started as a story with a huge storm turned into a calm sea and disciples who were afraid... Because he had the power over it. I'm sure after they processed, they were happy, they were alive, and they were excited and awestruck. But in this moment, they were fearful. And they ended the story with a question. (laughs) I wonder why the story ends with a question. Maybe it's for you and me. As much as it was for them. Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey. I hope we understand how the story ends. Much different than how it started. Jesus expected the disciples to respond with more faith. Oh, Jesus isn't in here. I'm not worried about this. That's why he asked, what are you afraid of? Why do you have no faith? And that's what he says To Thomas later, feel my hands, see where the nails were. Sometimes we're not always going to see things directly in front of us, but do we believe? So I want to do something for us at this moment. I do this every once in a while. I want us to close our eyes, and I want us to really take a moment to think about the things that I'm going to say. So close your eyes. And just listen. You've seen my grace all over your life. Do you still doubt me? You've witnessed my love. So what is there to fear? You've seen my mercy. So what is there to fear? You've experienced my forgiveness, my presence, my care, my compassion, my power, my strength, my salvation. So what is there to fear? Look behind you. I was there. Look in front of you. I'm there. Look all around you. I'm there. Look inside of you. My spirit is there. When you came into this world, I was there. When you leave it, I'll be there. So fear not. Cast all your anxieties on me, and I will give you rest. I'll lift you up. I'll bring you close and fill you 
with fearless faith. All you need to know today is I'm with you in the boat. Father, I am so grateful that you are with us in the boat. What seemed reasonable for the disciples was not reasonable because of who was with them. And in this world, there are storms in our life that seem reasonable for us to be afraid of. And yet, you tell us, why are you afraid? Some of us, we are afraid because we don't think we'll be able to pay a bill. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Some of us are afraid because we just don't know if we can overcome the sin that we currently are battling. We don't think that you're strong enough in our life to overcome it. You're telling us, why are you so afraid? I've overcome this world. Some of us are relationships that just whoever we're around we tend to get hurt or maybe hurt others why are we afraid you are a good and faithful father so whatever storm there is let us not forget who is in the boat pray this all in your name Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.